0: Welcome to Checked Out! We're broadcasting from Euclid Public Library in beautiful Euclid, Ohio. I'm Casey Armstrong, Director of the Library.
1: And I'm Mike Stein, Assistant Manager of Adult Services. We talk about our favorite books, movies, services, and events with our favorite people and our favorite community. Each podcast will feature a theme. Today, we're talking about time traveling back to 1920s Harlem. Our special guest is Dr. Brian Carter. Director of the College of Humanities and Associate Professor of Africana Studies at the University of Arizona. Dr. Carter and his students recreated 1920s Harlem in virtual reality to give everyone an opportunity to explore and understand the Harlem Renaissance in a different way. Welcome to Checked Out, Dr. Carter. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. And we could go on for the entire podcast about your background, which is very impressive. So you've created a uh, project called Virtual Harlem which the Euclid Public Library will be showing in February. And that is a virtual reality that takes you back to shows you what Harlem was like during that time. So could you tell us a little bit about how that came about?
2: Sure. Back in in the late 90s, I I was a graduate student at the University of Missouri, Columbia, and uh, a call went out. For, a, um, uh, for projects that dealt with at that time, a brand new technology called virtual reality. And so uh, I put in a proposal along with uh, a few uh, professors at the university. And uh, fortunately the virtual Harlem project was picked up. So it's been in development in constant or various forms of development since the late nineties. Uh, it's uh, gone through iterations and on a number of platforms beginning with um, a tool called multi-gen uh, developed on huge silicon graphics computers about the size of a refrigerator at the time back then uh, and uh, it's it's gone through virtual worlds like second life and open Sim, these massive multi-user environments that were very popular in the in the mid-2000s and uh, it's currently in a gaming environment called unity and uh, we're iterating it pretty much every year or so with new capabilities and new uh, narratives that relate the history and the stories related to the period.
0: So here at Euclid Public Library, we are going to be featuring virtual Harlem as part of our Black History event called Gather Out of Stardust, exploring the Harlem Renaissance, which will be February 5th through 18th. So when folks actually put the VR headsets on, what can they see and do or or be able to hear?
2: Well, I think the first thing, and I'm glad you brought up being able to hear, the first thing I think that gets people's attention are are the sounds that are incorporated there. You hear street sounds, you hear music coming from various uh, uh, locations within the environment, and it's spatially separated music so that if you turn your head one way, you can kind of tell which direction it's coming from. You also see the sights. Uh, you know, you see representations of of, of what the buildings look like, uh, what the cars may have looked like. Uh, you hear voices, depending on where you decide to walk, of people and, uh, talking inside of uh, certain locations. And so, our goal was really to bring the environment to life, so that students that have never been to this location before, uh, uh, a big city, or if they just want to get a sense of maybe what a slice of history may have been like uh, during that period. uh, They get to step back into history. They also get a chance to experience some storylines, which we're really excited about.
1: Now, Dr. Carter, as I understand it, this entire thing is based on your doctoral project from grad school, and you've presented around the world on that. And as you said, it dates back to starting in the late 90s, that's last century, which you wouldn't (laughs) even have thought virtual reality type things were around at that time, 25 years ago. Obviously, it's very important to you. Why did you decide to feature the Harlem Renaissance for this project?
0: I, I have right. to well, throw in right here before Dr. Carter answers. You didn't have to say the last history. The last I history. know.
2: <laughs> that, that, that hurt me, right? <laughs> that you, that us,
0: so. <laughs> you look younger
2: than <damn> all of us. You
0: look very young, <laughs>
2: No, I i wanted my students to be able to uh to connect with uh with a period that that in most cases uh students feel very very detached from you can imagine that you know we're, we're in 2022 and we're reading and experiencing uh, uh literature and creative expression from you know a century ago and uh and students you know sometimes have a difficult time connecting with that uh not just because of the the language uh, but also because of the setting they can't imagine what what things were like in inside of uh, say a, a cabaret that had a a, a whites only policy in the middle of harlem you know it it's unimaginable in you know in this day and age uh, as well as a, a number of other experiences and and storylines so I was excited about that that environment, and then a period, I wanted them to be excited about it as well. So, so the project really started off with um, with measuring uh, the uh, the quality of writing based on experiences versus uh, reading about the same thing. And so, I had two separate classes. Uh, I, I one is a control group, one is a test group, and uh, and and one group being within the virtual Harlem environment, being uh, prompted to uh to visit different locations listen to the stories that are being told uh, look around them listen to what they uh what they experience uh within those spaces and then giving them certain prompts to write about uh those prompts being very similar to descriptions that are given in several short stories that the other group was supposed to read and and answer the same prompt know what was the environment like or whatever the case might be and and the quality of writing was just remarkable and so you know that basically just supported an already imagined assumption that that uh experiences and and um immersion really plays a a huge part in in understanding and empathy and uh and it's kind of proved it with regards to uh giving students this this uh this step back into into time uh to see what life was like
0: so Dr. Carter this kind of reminds me. I remember when I took my children to visit the Frederick Douglass mansion in Maryland and my son said, "So he was real?" <laughs> oh god. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes, that's so true.
0: <laughs> so give us a little bit more background of how does one bring history alive through VR? Are there any type of special tools that were used to create the project?
2: Yes. Um, well, in in addition to the uh, the computer generated, you know, sort of developmental tools, uh, which interestingly enough brought computer scientists and graphic artists not just into the project, but into an interest in a period that they often heard you know, knew very little about. You can imagine how the how the curriculum doesn't in in most secondary systems really just gives a snippet of of anything related to uh, African American life and culture. To include, you know, when when talking about the Jazz Age, they may be introduced to Langston Hughes, maybe Zora Neale Hurston, or the or the canonical writers, but the real meat and potatoes of of, of the period are are, are often marginalized or, or completely left out. So so bringing those students into uh, into uh, the interest of the of the period. Um, even if they were from the developer point of view was really quite interesting um when i start to think about some of the experiences that students were tasked to create uh, for instance when the environment was housed in second life second life was a massive multi-user environment that had millions of of users around the world and where students could collaboratively enter virtual Harlem. Uh, They had the opportunity to collaborate with students uh, that I was teaching at the Sorbonne in Paris. So we created a virtual Montmartre. And so these students were meeting online at various hours based on the time zone uh, differences. They were doing projects. They they collaboratively did a project on uh, Josephine Baker on Brick Tops. Uh, They did all these different events that I was invited to. One of the events was really quite impactful. And that was one where uh, one of the students found a um, a, a plug that would allow them uh, require all the students to wear a badge and that badge would allow them entry into certain locations or not. It was a way you know that that people were using this to get into virtual clubs and things like that. This student team uh, devised a, um, an experience for students that, that that you know they could optionally uh, participate in, but but they had to identify what their ethnicity was, and then that's the kind of badge that they got. Then everybody was invited over to the Cotton Club and based on that ethnicity they were either allowed entry in the front door or they were relegated around to the side door and made to um to perform as 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 entertainment a waitress or a waiter within the space that was their, their role within this role playing game and so so students you know that 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 were from you know the, the, this has been uh maybe 20 um uh, uh maybe 2008 or 2009 so students in that period just had never experienced this kind of thing where they heard about racism and and segregation in the past but never experienced it firsthand and to experience it then virtually really had them asking questions about like what you said uh uh casey did this really happened and then we got a chance to talk about well yes it did let's talk about why and all those kinds of things that really opened up a different kind of conversation that would have been more challenging had we just been reading the books
1: Well, that really ties in with uh, our next question. You're working with these college students. This is a time period they might not have been familiar with beforehand, really way back into the last century, almost (laughs) the century before that. Uh, Was it hard to get them on board with working on a project about this time period? You know
2: what? It, it varies based on the semester. And um, uh, interestingly enough, it varies based on where I uh, where I introduced this, this particular project. For instance, um, I used it at the University of Missouri. It was very innovative back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Students loved it. They gravitated towards it. The same thing at uh, University of Central Missouri, uh, where I used it for, you know, in various stages for over 14 years. Um, and students intermittently liked it only because Uh, You can imagine that if students are in a a mindset of of, uh, being educated in a particular way, doing something outside of that medium uh, can be disruptive and as innovative as as we as faculty members like to think we are, uh, if students are in a mindset where they just wanna get this class over with and and get that degree, uh, regardless of how innovative the ideas are, sometimes that can be challenging. And when you're in an environment that is more of a teaching institution whereby students are not necessarily there for always the same reasons as we would like for them to be there, uh, it it can be a little challenging. So we did go through a phase where it was uh, a, bit difficult for students, especially as the technical requirements changed. So when you can imagine that there's already these, uh, these challenges to get students into this world. And uh, once they're in there, yeah, they usually like it, but if there are any uh, barriers to getting in there, like um, uh, computing requirements, uh, uh, graphic display requirements, bandwidth requirements that might slow down the experience, or even one time I made this huge mistake of having all of my students, all 30 of my students in one computer lab, not thinking that, Thirty students on a single pipe, or you know, a single uh, you know threaded uh, connection, uh, trying to access a virtual environment might kind of slow it to a crawl, which it did, and and that wasn't a good first uh, first experience. But but barring those kinds of challenges, for the most part, students love this experience. It's really just a matter of, of of what's on their plate, how to get them into this experience, and and I think what the popular culture is saying about about the metaverse and virtual worlds. Now with talk of the metaverse, interest is extremely high. And so I think it's really a good time to, to capitalize on on uh, on on creating more of these narratives within within virtual Harlem.
0: Dr. Carter, you're making me feel like I need to go back to school. Like <laughs> did I miss something here? <laughs> but um When we were offline, you mentioned that um, there were some changes coming down the pike, so can you tell us how virtual Harlem has changed and evolved since its beginning, and how you're adding to the project today?
2: Sure. Uh, well, as I mentioned before, we were on a, a relatively limited platform that we did. We relied on the display devices for the experience. Uh, we we collaborated with University of Illinois, Chicago and used their cave environment. A cave is a 10 by 10 square foot room where the walls of that room are backlit video displays. At the University of Missouri, we had a one walled cave, which was basically a huge curved screen, which gave you a sense of immersion when you sat in the sweet spot and wore 3D glasses. In, um, uh in the, uh, the Unity environment, uh, we're able to get even more students involved in, in various ways. And so uh, now that it, is, it has progressed through Second Life, which was huge at the time from about 2004 till about 2012, the transition into a gaming environment, really uh, taking advantage of the popularity and the interest in gaming that has you know just exploded around the United States around that time, uh, education was not immune to that. And so uh, taking advantage of the gaming environment has really, really helped with, with virtual Harlem. And so uh, being in that environment has allowed us to take advantage of, of graphic card advancements, of a display and computing advancements, making the environment not only more realistic looking, but also being able to more storylines and and more narratives. Fortunately, every other semester, um, yeah, every fall semester, uh, groups of students from University of Illinois um, uh, iterate on the environment and they add different um, effects or or aspects to it. Last semester, we had students that worked primarily on lighting and making the environment look a bit more real and and, uh, improving the textures and, and adding some animations. This past fall, we had students that added a couple of storylines, which are really quite interesting. One of them is of Madame Sinclair and the start of the numbers racket. So you can actually hear how that started and, and hear about the you know the whole kidnapping of Casper Holstein and and what that was all about and the mystery surrounding his return and nobody knowing what really happened. But but the most important thing is students learn about how big the numbers racket was that never heard of the numbers racket, right? And and how that sort of competed with you know the things that were happening on wall street that that african americans were basically kind of you know ruled out of participating in for a variety of reasons um we also hear some narratives regarding um uh langston hughes we hear him reading in the uh in the library and uh, uh one other narrative um uh, maybe father divine i can't remember who the last one was uh but all these narratives are just ripe for storytelling within the environment now that the platform is ready. And so students contribute to that and just bringing it more and more to life every semester.
1: So how valuable is virtual reality and other emerging tech and education? Is it a big part of it these days?
2: I think it's becoming a, a bigger part of it as the technology improves, as the cost of that technology in some areas comes down, and as entertainment and gaming uh, really sort of, um, uh, you know, push the boundaries. I think education is taking advantage of that. So virtual reality um, and, you know, the whole talk of the metaverse and the, the popular culture surrounding that, you know, by, by meta as well as many other players has really not only taken popular culture by storm, but educators are like imagining just like we were when Second Life came being in, in 2004, imagining all the amazing things we can do with virtual reality and bringing our classrooms to life or taking students on virtual field trips. Getting them involved in the development of that as a part of the instruction because it just makes it more real for them to create something related to their class as opposed to simply consuming content and spitting out something that only the teacher might see. So making it real in that respect. AR bringing those environments into their real world, uh, digital storytelling, all these things that will make them more marketable, incorporating that into our curricula really brings the classroom to life. And it gives the students a sense of the meaning of this class far beyond the curriculum. It's the tools that they learn to uh, uh, to express their understanding of the curriculum that are very exciting. So this is a great time computing wise. It is so exciting. I mean, you all have probably been following the things that are happening with AI and machine learning uh, and to incorporate that into you know Virtual Harlem and to you know, bring non-player characters to life in various ways. I mean, it's really gonna be an exciting year and we can't wait to incorporate some of this stuff into our classes.
0: <laughs> That's why I said, I feel like I need to enroll back. It's cool, <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> I'm so thankful that you mentioned Cleveland's own Langston Hughes. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> So we'll have to, when the updates come out and after our exhibit, we'll make sure we plan another virtual reality event so that we can make sure that folks get access to all the updates. Um, but I want to talk this a little bit about some of the countries that um, have experienced virtual Harlem. Can you tell us? How did they receive this and what countries have been involved in the project?
2: Oh, sure. Well, uh, collaborative countries have really been focused on France and Paris, uh, because you can't talk about Harlem without talking about things happening in Paris at the same period when, you know, of course, those troops that, that were uh, black troops that were part of World War I really started the jazz age in many respects. And so I, uh, that country, and when I was a, a professor at the uh, the Sorbonne for 12 years, those students loved that collaboration because VR and these kinds of technologies are not really common in those educational systems. This project has been presented in Hungary, in Sweden, in France, in Germany, in uh, Costa Rica, in in, gosh, all over the place. And uh, and everywhere students actually love it because you can imagine not only the curricular differences, but the fact that there's not much African-American culture or anything really taught in those systems. I mean, the big things like the civil rights movement, slavery, you know, those kinds of things are are introduced, but the detail that, that they understand and that they experience as well as the methodology is really quite fascinating to folks.
0: So wait a minute, when they see it, is it in their language?
2: No, it's not in their language. It's often in, in English, but okay. they, they understand.
0: Well, yeah. I do know that, you know, a lot of, the, especially the European countries, they speak more than their native language and usually English is second or third language that they speak. Right. So that is amazing.
1: So when people come to you could Library in February to experience this, or maybe they get lucky and get to do it in Costa Rica or Paris, what would your advice be on how to get the most out of the experience?
2: Well, to wander, Um, I think uh, part of what this uh, project is and what it will uh, evolve to uh, continue to be to be more of is a, a discovery platform. We're constantly adding various types of uh, Easter eggs, surprises, um, various things that people can discover without being led. Uh, You can imagine that by passing by one of the brownstones, hearing a conversation coming from the inside and learning that there's a Marcus Garvey rally happening around the corner, you know, and so, so being able to just wander the space, discover things related to history, pick up newspapers that the students were able to plug in from databases, so they're real headlines, and learn about some of the, uh, the popular culture of the day, um, I think is really quite interesting. Um, and to begin imagining how this platform can be one of many ways that uh, that research can be done very differently contextually uh, that might uh, interest a a whole new generation of of learners, uh, as well as those who are just interested in the period uh, to to research it very differently outside of the traditional norms. And so uh, hopefully being able to incorporate something like this uh, into various research databases is really part of the ultimate goal.
0: So what are some of your favorite books about the Harlem Renaissance or what would you recommend for some of our guests to read so they can learn more about the Harlem Renaissance.
2: Yes, well, I would definitely recommend anything by David Levering Lewis. Uh, he's one of the greatest storytellers uh, of of all times, and and uh, his "When Harlem Was in Vogue" is one of the canonical works. It gives you not only a, a fantastic history, uh, but it also tells that story of uh, of the beginnings of the Renaissance, as you know, the things that happened during the Renaissance, as well as post Renaissance, in a way that doesn't read like history. Uh, so, if you're interested in that, in in the factual things told in a very different way read him but then of course you know the various uh, creative works uh when you think about the various genres you can get into uh you know the music of of ellington uh ma rainey and bessie smith and and many many others uh, fats waller uh the literature of, of hughes and claude mckay and and uh james baldwin johnson and, and so many others uh will will tell the story of the period uh creatively uh, the paintings, uh, the, uh, the the videography of Oscar Michaud. So, unfortunately, most students are introduced to the Harlem Renaissance as a literary uh, movement, but it was so much more than that. Where literature was a part of that, it was a social movement. It was a visual movement. It was a you know a multi generational movement in many respects. It was a, uh, a a movement that incorporated so many different class structures through the work of um, Marcus Garvey all the way through. through. Through the you know the literati, the boys, and many others uh, that were part of this sort of literary elite. So um, I would just uh, encourage folks to explore the multifaceted aspects of the of the Harlem Renaissance, uh, both through literature, through art, as well as through other forms of creative expression.
1: Well, Dr. Carter, you've sold me on experiencing virtual Harlem. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to when we have it. I just got my first crash course in virtual reality a few days ago, so for me, it'll be. Kind of a slow experience, but sounds like there's so much in this that it'll be good to be able to take your time and look through it and see all what is included in there. Is there anything else you'd like us to know about virtual Harlem or virtual reality in general?
2: Well, I think I definitely try it, Um, take it slow. If you uh, tend to get vertigo, you know, you might just be careful, make sure you're sitting down, Uh, but definitely give it a try and and be open minded as to some of the many experiences that you can experience in uh, the different forms of VR, Uh, keeping in mind that VR can be uh, video based or it can be computer generated. Uh, The better headset you have, the better the experience. And so always keep that in mind with regards to uh, what you might expect. Uh, And keep in mind also that this is only going to get better uh, as graphic cards and and visual displays uh, uh, continue to improve. And so you can imagine these experiences are only going to become more realistic, which is really, really exciting. So this is a great year uh, for these kinds of things. AI is going to really play a big part in the overall experience and uh, I just encourage folks to definitely give it a try.
0: Thank you so much Dr. Carter so we certainly appreciate you coming and joining us today on Checked Out and sharing all of your valuable information about virtual Harlem.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And now the news you cannot use.
1: All right, Casey, you might go to TikTok for funny dance videos like I do, but you could also learn something about books while scrolling through. BookTok has become one of the most popular parts of TikTok as such videos have been viewed more than 84 billion times. That's a billion with a B, according to DW.com. Users create short videos highlighting their favorite books and showing off their collections, often helping some titles climb onto bestseller lists. Young adult fantasy books, thrillers, and romance books are among the most popular genres on Book Talk. Madeline Miller's 2011 novel, The Song of Achilles, was recently featured on Book Talk, holding it on the bestseller list a decade after its publication. Colleen Hoover has also seen massive popularity in part due to Book Talk. You will find these books and others on the shelves when you visit the Euclid Public Library.
0: Mike, usually there's no sleeping in the library. The Galetta Valley Library in Santa Barbara, California made an exception for stuffed animals. According to the Washington Post, children were encouraged to drop off their favorite stuffed animal, then return the next day to see pictures of the adventures their favorite toys had the night before. Stuffed bears and pandas were seen reading the cat in the hat, while other plush pals were seen sharing a shake. Some of the children told their stuffed animals, I love you. Have fun before dropping them off, according to librarian Linda Horry.
1: And that's the news you cannot use. Don't try to use this news in any situations or it will lead to disaster. Thanks for listening to Checked Out. We hope you will tune in next time. You can learn more about Yucca Public Library by stopping in or going to our website, yucalibrary.org.